0: Okay, uh, all right, Whew. so waiting has changed a lot over even just the last decade with advances in technology. When our girls are a little bit older, we'll get to tell them, you know, Netflix hasn't always been the way that it is now. It used to be that when you wanted to watch a movie, you would send in your request in the mail. We'd check the mail every day, and a week later, we'd get that little envelope. You get to watch your movie, and we're so excited. But then, when you want to watch another one, you have to send your mail, your DVD back in the mail. Wait another week for the next one to come. In a world of instant streaming, this would blow their minds. Like, wow, you guys were Neanderthals. In Luke two verses twenty-two through thirty-eight, Luke juxtaposes the lives of two elderly, devout followers who announced the Messiah after centuries of waiting for his arrival. In both Psalm 84 and Luke 2, the church has shown that God blesses those who wait well, and only God can satisfy in the waiting. So why is it important for us to learn to wait both for and with God? The psalmist Simeon and Anna's experiences, they demonstrate three truths about how to wait well and wait for God. So let me pray. God, we uh, are grateful for you, for your presence in this room. We ask that you open up our ears to hear and our eyes to see the truth that you have for us, Lord. That you would teach us the significance of waiting well, and that our hearts would long for you above all else, God. It's in your name. Amen. Uh, So before we uh, get into the text, it's important to review Israel's history, to see just why would it have been so significant for them to wait for the Messiah. And this goes back in looking at it from the beginning. Um, at creation, we have Eden, where Adam and Eve are enjoying the presence of God at all times in the garden. They can be with him whenever they want, but then sin enters the world, and the fall happens. And not only are they banished from the garden, but they're banished from God's presence because they can't be in his holiness. Since then, nothing has been more important to humanity than restoring God's presence on earth. In the Exodus, uh, Moses is called to build the tabernacle. And this is to be a tent. It's just a temporary dwelling place for God to be in their midst, in the middle of their camp. And after Moses builds the tabernacle and he dedicates it, he speaks this about the tabernacle. He says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God's glory existed in this cloud. And something really interesting is the word glory in Hebrew is kavod, which comes from the root "kaved," which means to be heavy or weighty. So this glory of God in this cloud is so dense, it's so weighty that Moses can't even get inside. Then the Davidic kingdom is established and David wants to build a temple, a permanent place for God's presence to dwell forever. Uh, the job gets passed to his son Solomon. Seven years of building the temple. It's this glorious, magnificent building. It's finished. And then Solomon says this about the temple. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said... The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. So, again, we have God's glory in this cloud. Everyone's thinking, okay, this is, this is it. God's going to be here forever. But Israel sins again and again. And after centuries of warning them, God decides to send them into exile. And not only does he make them leave Israel, But Ezekiel 10 and 11 speaks of God's glory leaving the temple and leaving the city of Jerusalem. They go to Persia for 70 years. Ezra, at the end of that period, is bringing the people back, um, and he rebuilds the temple. It's this long, arduous process. They finish it, he dedicates it, but there's no... Text describing the glory of God re entering. In fact, Ezra ends really discouraged at Israel's sin. Seems like no one's hearts have really changed. But God has promised to enter in their midst again. He's promised to send a Messiah. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, then, we have 400 years of enemy occupation of the Israelites, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, To give an idea of how long this is, um, just think of the United States has only been around 236 years. Okay, so they were under an oppression almost not quite twice as long as we've been around, but a really, really long time. So by the time the New Testament picks up in Luke, the question is where is the Messiah? When is he going to come to redeem? Israel. This explains their longing for the Messiah, their desire for the Davidic kingdom to be reestablished through God. And then this brings us to Psalm 84. So in Psalm 84, it says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And goes on about the beauty of being in the house of the Lord. This psalm would have taken place in the temple period, so before exile. So the psalmist comes in and sees this beautiful temple that Solomon has built. Because of other context clues in the verses, it's believed that this was a psalm that was sung during the Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of three pilgrimages that the Israelites would take to Israel to come and celebrate. Because God's presence only existed in the temple, these pilgrimages were sought for. They were longed after. It was three times in the year they got to be in the presence of God. This psalmist knew that nothing is better than God's house because nothing is better than God's presence. The first point it teaches us is that the psalmist knows that all satisfaction is found in God. He alone satisfies the desires of our hearts. And the same is true for us. Now you might wonder, well, how do we experience God in the same way if we don't have a temple? Well, we know that when we become believers, we each have the Holy Spirit in each of us, But even more importantly, the body or sorry, the Holy Spirit exists in the body of Christ, the church. Ephesians 2 verses 20 and 21. Uh, Sorry, in, in 21 and 22, it says, In him, being Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. The best place to experience God is to be among his body. To be with the church. Not the church as a building, but as the people. So while God is the only one who can satisfy, how are we supposed to wait? What do we do with these longings of our hearts? This is where we look to Luke 2. So here we have a story of a man of hope and a woman of heartbreak. And Luke kind of sets them up side by side. So first we have Simeon. He's this man. He's an ordinary Jewish man. Um, He's been longing for the Messiah his whole life, much like everybody else. But something interesting is that the Holy Spirit told him before he would die, he would get to see the Messiah. He's waited decades and decades, and nothing has happened. In fact, we're told that he's waiting to die. So it does, because Luke doesn't say anything about being young and having a terminal illness, we can assume that he's just waited a long time, is near the end of his life, just wondering, okay, God, when are you going to show up? Then we have Anna, who she probably got married at a young age. She experienced seven years of marital bliss and has hopes of building a family, having children and grandchildren, and just sees this future when it all ends after just seven years. Because the text doesn't tell us that she, or because it tells us that she never leaves the temple, uh, we could assume she probably doesn't have children. And she's a widow, which means she has no income, no status. She's completely reliant on others. It also says that she was 84 years old, but scholars, are, they disagree over whether the Greek says she was 84 years old or was a widow for 84 years. If she got married at the minimum age of 12, that would make her at least 103 years old. So either way, we can see she's lived a long time. Both of these people longed for the Messiah. But what's interesting is how they waited with Simeon. It tells us um, that he was a righteous and devout man. So he didn't become burdened by political pressure and become a zealot, sparking riots. He wasn't self-righteous as a Pharisee. He just lived a really quiet life. He listened for the word of God. And then there's Anna. Even though she had experienced severe heartbreak and suffering, she spends her days in the temple and nights fasting and praying and pouring herself out for God, living and longing for Him. She doesn't beg, which she had every right to as a widow. She just spends time with the Lord. And then one day, everything changes. We don't know where Simeon was when he heard the, this kind of prompting of the Holy Spirit, whether he was out in the field or shopping in the marketplace. But either way, he gets this prodding go to the temple supposed to go there to worship. And, you know, Simeon could have been very well, like, God, I had a lot of things I wanted to do today. Like, do I really need to go to the temple? I already went this week. But he goes, and he obeys. He's there worshiping. Everything's pretty normal. He sees this family come up. They're offering sacrifices for having their firstborn son, and then it strikes him. Wait, this isn't just any family. This is the Messiah, And imagine he just comes up to the same, like, hey, can I hold your baby? And they're like, see this really elderly man, like, uh, sure. You know, they hand him over. And then he immediately bursts forth with the words of God. And he says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Notice this word glory. The glory of God that existed in a cloud in the tabernacle, in the cloud in the temple, is not a dense cloud, but it's, at this point, a five-week-old baby. And then we have Anna, at that very same moment, also gets this awareness, the Messiah is here. She comes up to them, probably in tears. She's praising God. All these decades of suffering and waiting and longing haven't been for nothing. Nothing. The Messiah is here. She's so excited. She can't help but just prophesy to everyone around her. Redemption for Israel is here. We can't necessarily relate for the longing for the Messiah because we already have him here. But we can relate with our other longings. Because of my age, I haven't had the experience of longing for something for decades. uh, But I have longed for something for what felt like a long time at that point in my life. Um, It was particularly in my journey through singleness. I grew up always as the single girl. In high school, in college, I was teased. I was told, well, there must be something wrong with you if you don't have a boyfriend. Um, That was just crushed me, and I so had this desire for relationship. I wanted to get married. I remember when I was 18, I was praying in my dorm room my freshman year of college, and I was like, Lord... I just want a relationship. Do I, can I get married at some point? I'm just pouring myself out in tears. And I hear this voice of God so quietly. It's so reassuring. He said, surrender. I've got this one. I'll take care of it. He didn't tell me what would happen or when or even that he was going to get me a husband, but just that he would take care of me. And so I let go and I waited. What's really funny as a side note is that I'm four years older than Levi, which would have made him 14. So I can just imagine him being like, he needs a little more time. You're like, just hold on. <laughs> um, but months turned to years, and I graduated college. I was, became a full-time teacher. When I was 25, I was serving at my church, and God just gave me this heart for singles around me. Um, I saw this incredible potential for the kingdom of God and I also saw brokenness and loneliness and God just gave me this prompting you need to start a singles ministry and I was like no because I thought for sure he wanted me to be single forever and I was like God that is not what I want I want to get married at some point um but this heart this for singles was so burdening to me I was like okay I'll do it um It's funny because I told my pastor, who knew me really well, I was like, this is not a dating ministry. People treat it that way. Like, I'm going to vomit everywhere. Um, And like seven couples have gotten married from this ministry, Um, at least at the point that I had left it. Um, But the first, uh, we started a weekly potluck. And the first event that I hosted was a barbecue at my house. And I had finished, you know, serving everyone, making sure everyone's eaten everything. And I see this blonde guy sitting by himself, it's like, oh, you know, I'll go talk to him. Um, should I up conversation be a good host? We talked for like 45 minutes. Um, less than a week later, a friend kind of set us up on a date. And then by our fourth date, just a few weeks after that, he tells me, he says, so what are you looking for in a husband? Because you're, you have everything I want in a wife. And he's like asking me how many kids I want. And I was like, whoa, this is really intense. Like everything's happening at once. Um, But I just had this assurance of the Holy Spirit that this is it. This is what you've been waiting for. When I met Levi, it was seven years after God had promised that he would take care of me. It was seven years of silence, of no direction, really, of just waiting. I recently told this to some women in my Bible study and one of the women who's retired was like, well, seven years isn't a very long time. And I was like, that's true for you know most people. At that point, it had been almost a third of my life. Um, for Anna and Simeon, they waited much longer. They waited decades for Israel to be redeemed, for the Messiah to come. And this word waiting, it's not just like waiting around Um, but it's prostekamai, which means to await with confidence or patience for things promised. They knew, they didn't just wait for the Messiah, they knew he was going to come, and they waited with patience. The second point they show us is that how we wait matters, because God blesses those who wait well. So how do we wait like Simeon and Anna? We gain a few insights from their example First is to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, even when it's something that seems inconvenient or insignificant. Had Simeon not obeyed the Holy Spirit to go to the temple that day, he would have missed out on Jesus. Oftentimes, the promptings can seem like, really God, do I really need to do that? I know for me, it'll be something as simple as like, turn off the TV and spend time with me in your word or in my word. Or he'll tell me, Why don't you call up this friend and check in on them? It's just the simple things that we have to be obeying regularly in our lives. A second thing would be to fast and pray for our longings. Anna showed this incredible model of faithfulness in that she fasted and prayed. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about how it's expected for us to fast, I can't really unpack what goes into all of that, but if you have a longing of your heart, take time to fast and pray for it. And then third, never underestimate God's desire to use you for his kingdom purposes, no matter your age or your marital status. Both of these individuals were elderly. Anna was a widow. Um, She really had no status at all. Our culture tells us that if you're not working, you have no worth because you're not contributing to society. But that's not how it works in God's kingdom. Everybody has value and can be used for his purposes. Over a year ago, I went to a women's retreat with a church, um, and they took an evening to honor some of the women who were faithful servants in their community. And one woman actually couldn't make it there Um, because she wasn't actually physically able to get there. Um, But she was one of the most faithful children's ministry servants. What was interesting is because of her age and her uh, disability with her back, she wasn't actually able to serve the children. And so instead, she would take her chair and plant it at the end of the hallway every Sunday and pray over the children's ministry. And that was her ministry And they honored her, and immediately when they talked about this woman, I was like, that's what I want to be when I grow up, someone who's so faithful, no matter what her state is. When we wait well, we're used for God's kingdom purposes and blessed by experiencing Jesus. But while it's important that we wait well, it's also important that we wait for the right thing. See, Simeon and Anna weren't the only ones who were waiting for the Messiah, Everybody was. But it's interesting because in verse 34, when Simeon is speaking to Joseph and Mary, he says, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This means that while everyone was looking for Jesus, a lot of people missed it. Most likely what happened is we see in the Gospels, is that people's desire for political revolution, for Israel to have a new king, outweighed their desire for God's presence. How often does this happen today? Where our desires for other things, whether they be political or personal, outweigh our desire for the presence of God. It might be for a spouse, or a job, or a child, or a reconciled relationship. Do we long for these things more than God? What we wait for matters. Multiple times in the Gospels, Jesus speaks of his return and that those who aren't ready will miss it. We have the parable of the persistent widow when he says he's going to come and bring justice to his chosen ones, but will he find faith on the earth? And the parable of the wedding banquet and the ten virgins speak of being ready for Jesus, and will our candles be lit for him? Then in Revelation, we get Jesus' final warning, where he says, Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, some of you might be thinking like, well, Jesus and I might have pretty different definitions of soon, because it's like been almost 2,000 years, you know, seems like kind of a long time. Uh, But what's interesting is this word soon, it also means quickly. And so while Jesus might be a long time in coming, when he comes, it'll be all in one moment. Just like when Simeon was speaking about Jesus, it says, at that very moment, Anna also came over and prophesied. Everything happened all at once. Jesus is returning soon. Are we waiting for him? Advent is both the now and the not yet. We celebrate Jesus' presence with us now through his first coming and his presence in the Holy Spirit. But we also look forward to his return. If we have misdirected longings, we're going to miss it. So how do we know that we're waiting for the right thing? How do we make space? A great way is that uh, in the Christmas season is to use your Advent devotional. This has really awesome reflection questions that are simple but deep uh, that can just help you to get into the presence of God and enjoy waiting for him this season. Another thing is in daily life, Think about how you can invite God into what you're already doing. Uh, With two little ones at home, a quiet time can be pretty elusive in my house. And so it can be hard to just like sit and read my Bible. I've had to find spaces to invite God in while I'm moving. And also if I close my eyes, I'm asleep pretty much instantly. Uh, And so at nighttime, there was a night that my husband was out doing a church thing in the evening Kids went to bed late, and then I look around, and the house is a disaster. I mean, there's toys everywhere. The kitchen has dishes everywhere. The bathroom had, like, exploded. And I was just like, I just want to go to sleep. I don't want to deal with any of this. Um, But I had recently heard of some friends who, when they have their quiet time with the Lord, they light a candle to signify the sacredness of that space. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to light a candle and dedicate this space is holy to God. Just offer it to him. And I turned on worship music and just prayed. And now it's part of my daily practice. Is my nighttime cleanup is my time with the Lord. So just make space for him in what you're doing. When I look back on my years of singleness, I see a lot of heartache. Um, there were a lot of years of suffering, which is a story for another day. Um, but I also look back with fondness. Because those years have some of my most intimate and treasured memories with the Lord. He satisfied me with his presence in the wait. Similarly, Anna and Simeon longed for the Messiah their whole lives. God met them through his Holy Spirit and then with the arrival of Jesus at the temple. In a world of instant gratification, waiting is hard. It's easier to look for a way out, to look for something easier to do. But it's worth it. We must remember the lessons taught by the psalmist Simeon and Anna, that how we wait matters because God blesses those who wait well. And what we wait for matters because Jesus rewards those who are ready for him. And in the waiting, God is with us and only he can satisfy. So how do we find God in our longings? As we close in worship through song, sit with this question. What is your deepest desire? What are you longing for? Take time to journal in your bulletin, or just pray, or offer your hands open to before God to give him your desires, to allow him to meet you in the waiting. If the things that you carry that you're longing for are burdensome or you just need a reassurance of God's presence with you in the waiting, please come forward and pray with us in the front. Our prayer team would love to receive you and pray with you and speak God's words of truth over you. Allow God to be present with you as you wait.